North Park family, thank you so much for inviting us into your home to worship with you today. I'm not even gonna pretend like this has been an easy journey over the last few weeks. In fact, my family has experienced some of the most difficult moments that we've ever endured. But the fact that you've been with us on that journey, loving us and praying for us and cheering for us every step of the way has meant more to our family than you could ever know. I am so thankful for every phone call, every meal, every card, every expression of your love. You have been an incredible church family. You are the epitome of what it means to be the body of Christ. And I am so thankful for the way that you've loved us. You have been the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we are so grateful to our church family. And today, as we dive into God's Word, I am so thankful to have my friend and a great friend of North Park Church, Pastor Chris Sloan, just share God's Word with us today. So I want you to get your Bible, open your YouVersion app. Let's dive in together today. Let's study God's Word. Let's worship and let's just continue to love one another. Hey, North Park family, it's so great to be with you. Uh, my name is Chris Sloan. I am a pastor in Vero Beach, Florida, and it's a real honor to be with you. I uh, just want to invite you to go ahead and take out your Bible or tablet and turn to John chapter 1. That's going to be our text today in this sermon. So go ahead, take those out right now, and we will get into the Word together. All right, so now that you have your Bibles and you are ready to go, um, as you're in John chapter 1, just a few things I want you to know. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, we often refer to as the synoptic gospels, uh, were written uh, much earlier than the gospel of John. And many scholars believe that John um, was in Asia Minor uh, near the end of his life, most specifically probably in Ephesus. Um, John probably started off thinking he would spend most of his life uh, as a fisherman in a very uh, well-to-do family fishing business. And we know that because they had servants, and so it was big business. Uh, but he, he stepped away from that temporarily to be a disciple of John the Baptist, and eventually he finds the Messiah, Jesus, follows Jesus, spends his uh, ministry with Jesus, and then after Jesus' death and resurrection, after uh, the destruction of the temple, Christianity begins to spread, begins to scatter, and John eventually finds himself exiled where he writes the book of Revelation. And then after that, after they boiled him alive and that didn't kill him, after they exiled him and he survived, uh, he settles down in Ephesus to encourage, to love, and to pastor the people there. And so many scholars believe he writes John much later to address a different issue. And here was John's issue, that Jesus is God, that Jesus identified himself as God. Uh, many people at that time were saying, well, Jesus was a man or Jesus was was after and was born later. And so John is going to start right out of the gate, not with a genealogy, but with stating that Jesus was there from the very beginning. Okay. And so here's how John does this. He starts off, uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, and I hope that you are, you know, the great uh, intros to a Star Wars movie, that, that crawl where that music hits. In fact, we watch the movies so much at my house. 
that when my wife was pregnant with my youngest son, he would kick in her belly when he heard that music come on. And so even after he was born, he just, if you played it, he would just, just look around. Uh, but you know how that prologue kind of comes around and it lets you know the bigger story. It lets you know what's going on because as soon as that, that those credits or that scroll, that scroll, 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 no, that's comic books. Anyways, as soon as that prologue goes up the screen, they're going to take you right into the action. And that's what John does in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. He is going to go right through this information and come right out of the gate and say, Jesus is God. The other gospels will start slowly with that and reveal that. But John starts with this. He wants to make no question about it. Jesus is God. Jesus has been there from the beginning. All right. So think Star Wars. Think going through and let's see what he has to say for us. Verses 1 through 5, I'm going to read with us. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says, he was with God in the beginning. Now, some other uh, religions, uh, actually some that are cults, will actually say, and the word was a God. Uh, But the actual translation is, the word was God. And through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was a life, and that life was the light of all. All mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, here's what John does John uses this one word, and it's the word word. Uh, there was a, a Greek word, logos, and it, it's, it's a word that was a Greek word that meant word, but there was also a Hebrew word that meant word, and he's using word. And I know that's annoying because I've said it so much, but here's the point, okay? Uh, Within about 30 years of Christ's resurrection, um, Christianity really begins to spread quickly. Now, we have to understand it comes from a Jewish faith with Jewish uh, parables, Jewish language. Uh, The idea of a Messiah is a Jewish idea. And as the faith begins to spread... By the point, by the time that John writes, uh, he is writing in such a way that Greeks and Romans and others can understand. And so he does something um, with the Holy Spirit that is just genius. He takes a word that both Greeks and Jews uh, held very sacred, and he applies it to Jesus. And so here's what that looks like, okay? For Jewish people, um, God uses his word in the Old Testament to create to bring salvation. The Old Testament is full of uh, statements about God's word going out and fulfilling and sustaining and creating and bringing salvation. And so for the Jews, the word of God is his creative, active, this dynamic power. And so the Jews here, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, Jesus is the word. Now, for the Greeks... It's pretty interesting. Uh, In Ephesus, but way before John, in about 500 BC, there was a Greek thinker and philosopher. And he began to use this Greek word, logos. And and here's what he said, that there is something that keeps the world together from falling into chaos. There's something, our, our, our mathematics and all of these things, everything we do in life, there is this central creating, sustaining power that he called 
the word, the logos. And so later philosophers said, yes, um, morality, mathematics, even the seasons, the way that the tides move, um, the, the reason that men and women have the ability to judge between right and wrong, uh, what brings the seasons at their appointed time is the word. And so John, writing much later in Ephesus, uses a word that both Jews and Greeks would say is so important to all of life. And so John says, hey, guess what? That logos, that word, it's Jesus. He is God. He's been there from the beginning. And John goes through, and in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is sometimes shared during Christmas season, and I know that we're in a Christmas season right now, and so we'll read passages like this and say, oh, this is beautiful. You know, even uh, secular culture will say, yeah, we like this. The Word became flesh, Jesus as a baby. But actually, this would have been so offensive uh, to the original audience, and I hope, my prayer is that this offends you, because it offends me, and here's why it's offensive. John says that God had to come in flesh to deal with the mess we've made of things. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, my boys and I are not left alone very much. My wife likes to be there for supervision. But when she does leave, uh, they usually fight a lot, okay? And sometimes I'm upstairs, and if I'm working on something, if I'm reading, if I'm kind of doing something, and, and I hear them downstairs. I've got three boys. I think they're 11. Their ages keep changing, but 11, 9, and 5, okay? And when I hear them fighting, the first thing that I do is I just kind of hope they fix it themselves. I give them an opportunity to do the right thing. So I hear them fighting and I think, you know what? They're going to fix it. They have enough knowledge and resources and training and they have the type of character. They're going to fix it. And you know what? They usually don't. And then what's the second thing that I do? I kind of send down advice, all right? I, I speak down to them from upstairs and say, hey guys, would really appreciate if you guys would stop, just love one another, maybe give some advice and say, hey, you guys are going to be brothers for life. You need to care about one another. You know, just something really sentimental, maybe a line from a Hallmark movie. And, and I've sent now advice. I, I let them try to fix it. I send the, my word to them, you know, just speaking. But when that doesn't work, when things are really a mess, you know what has to happen? My word has to become flesh. I have to come downstairs and physically do something about the problem because they had an opportunity to fix it. And no matter how many resources, no matter how much time, they just couldn't do it. And no matter how much advice I sent them, no matter how much explanation I gave them, they couldn't do it. You see, it takes me in the flesh, the word becoming flesh, to fix the problem. So why is that offensive for us? Because John is saying that we have had the opportunity in life to try to fix the problems, right? To try to fix suffering and pain. And we believe with enough technology, people won't be greedy or, or we, can, we can do something to get rid of jealousy or deal with pride or gossip and, and we can fix the world. We think we can. 
But guess what? We haven't. We have not. The people before us have not. The people after us cannot. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do things, but, but think about it. We really can't fix the mess that we're in. And, and God had sent his word in different ways. He had sent prophets, and these prophets would come to God's people and say, hey, you have to uh, treat the poor with kindness and dignity. You need to, to care about them. You need to be faithful to your wife. You need to keep your word. And, and, and he gave them advice and teaching. And you know what? They ignored it. And so things were such a mess, and I want you to realize how offensive this is, that God had to come in flesh as a baby, grow to be a man, live a perfect life, die the death we should have died, and be resurrected because we were so without hope we could not fix it ourselves. That's what John's saying. John's saying that that creating powerful, sustaining word, Colossians says, that holds everything together, had to become flesh because we had made such a mess of things. Okay, so here's what we pull from that. Three things very quickly. The first one is John is telling us that we can really know God. Okay, and you may say, well, yeah, well, duh, but, but just track with me for a minute. This would have been pretty, pretty amazing to the original audience, and it should be still to us. He's saying you can know God. Now, many times we know things about people, but we don't necessarily know people. Uh, right now, during all this COVID stuff, um, I go to the grocery store for our family, and I am treated like a Navy SEAL when I get home because they just don't want to mess with us. So I'll go, and you know, you got to wear your mask, and I'll go into the grocery store, and I'll, I'll be there, and, and you just see the same people all the time because they live close by. So, you know, you kind of have your store, and I like to go to the same store every time because I know the aisles, and I know, you know, where the stuff is, and I'll, I'll put my headphones in and listen to a podcast, and I've got my mask, and you're there, and you can kind of see people, and they go about the same time that I do. And I see what's in their cart, and I can guess kind of what they're going to have for dinner. And I can look at their clothes sometimes and guess what they do for work, or maybe they just came from the gym, so I know they like to exercise. I can know things about them. But if I've never spoken to them, and you ask me, do I know that person? I would have to say no. And here's why. Your words are the clearest revelation of who you are. When you speak your word, you reveal things about yourself. And what John is saying is we can move beyond knowing about God, knowing things about God, and actually knowing God because of his word, who is Christ Jesus. And if you'd say, well, I, yeah, of course I know things about Jesus, but, but I want to just give you a few questions to just kind of give you something to think about. Uh, there's an excellent book called Knowing God uh, by a gentleman named J.I. Packer, and I recommend that to anyone who likes to read. It's just an incredible, uh, easy-to-read book, but it's so rich. And he gives us a few thoughts, and he says, those who know God, typically those who have a relationship with Jesus and know Him and are spending time with Him, there's three things about them that are true. The first one is, those who know God have great energy for God. Now, he says, obviously, there's times where that can kind of ebb and flow. But for the most part, what is your energy level like for God? Not how much time do you spend doing things, but what is your energy level? Is there a sense of excitement about Jesus in your life? Or do you just kind of do it out of guilt? Because when you know God, 
There is an excitement and energy to serve him, to, to do things uh, for him, for his glory, for his name. There's an excitement to be with him. The second one is, he says, they think great thoughts about God. What is your thought life about God? Uh, is God always angry and out to get you? Or is God just cool with everything that you do? Or, or do the thoughts that you think about God, are they constantly thinking of how great and how loving and how powerful he is? It might be helpful this week to just write down the honest thoughts you have about God. So what's your energy like? What are your thoughts like? And the last one is this. What is your boldness for God like? And by boldness, I don't mean do you post passive-aggressive things about Jesus on Facebook, okay? Social media doesn't count, all right? The, the creepy pictures where it's Jesus and it's a cartoon devil and it says, my real children will share this, that's not, no, just stop. Uh, boldness for Jesus is in those moments of great persecution. Early Christians stood in crowded arenas and stood before lions and fire and death, and they were bold for the things of Jesus. And so maybe you have great energy for Jesus. Maybe you think great thoughts about Jesus. And in moments of difficulty or moments when things are not right, when someone is doing something that is hurting someone or, or, or going against God, you have a great boldness for him. So that's just something to think about. So the first thing is we can know him. What are your thoughts? What's your energy? Are you bold for Jesus? Okay. Uh, Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, you can really know the difference between a religious person and someone who knows Christ based off of a simple idea. He says, everybody at some point prays to God, okay? Everybody. Uh, just two nights ago, I had to drive out of town, and I, I knew that I needed to get gas, and I just got talking on the phone and got distracted and kind of ended up in the middle of nowhere, all right? Um, here's what you need to know about me. I'm a terrible singer. I'm tone deaf. Um, the only time I sing is in church. I just don't like to hear my own voice. Uh, but there got to a point, and I got off the interstate, and I was on a road, and I thought, there's got to be a gas station. Well, my car said it was on zero, like it tells you, like it counts. You have no hope. You have zero miles to empty. And I was about an hour away from home. I didn't want to call my wife and load up the kids to come, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to try to make it. All right. I needed God. And so I just start like praying for this miracle. And it, it was really, I was just a dummy and should have gotten gas, but I'm just praying. And you know what I have? I'm like, you know, just start singing, quoting Waymaker from that song Waymaker. And I'm just like, you know, just oh, way over the top. Why? Because I just, I didn't want to break down, you know? So it was easy to pray because I just didn't want to have to walk to go get gas. And you know what? I made it. Um, but, but anybody in the right moment cries out to God. But he says, someone that knows Jesus praises Jesus. And I don't just mean that you're a singer or I don't just mean praise and worship. But think about this for a moment. When you love a good book, you just tell people about it. When you eat at a restaurant and the, and the, and the meal is just absolutely delicious and the service is just great and the environment is top notch, you just naturally tell people about it. No one's asked you to do that. It just comes out in conversation. You find as many people as you can. You say, hey, you've got to see this movie. You have to listen to this song. You've got to check this show out on Netflix. You have to do this. No one is asking you to do that. There's something to it. 
You see, there's something in us that when we want to fully enjoy something, we have to share it with other people. It's the way that we're wired. And here's why. Because God has made you in such a way that when you enjoy him, you will share him. And this is the reality. If you haven't told anybody about Jesus in a while, you need to ask yourself those questions. Do I know him? What's my energy like for him? What's my boldness like for him? What kind of thoughts do I think about him? Because if you love him and you know him, you'll praise him. You'll tell everybody about him. All right? So here's the next thing. It's not just that we can know God, but it's that God knows us. It's that he knows your pain. Okay? And I want you to think about this. Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says this. For this reason... Talking about Jesus, he was made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Listen to this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus experienced what we experience. Not just the, the big dramatic crisis moments, but just the irritating stuff. Jesus worked a job. In fact, Jesus worked a job, a hard job. He was a carpenter. And, and here's what we know. Jesus' father, Joseph, is not mentioned after the scene where Jesus is young and, and they lose him for three days and, he's, and he says, i got to be about my father's business. After that, we don't, we don't have anything about Joseph. Most scholars believe Joseph died when Jesus was fairly young. And Jesus, being the firstborn as a male in that culture, would have been expected to stick around and support his mother and other siblings and take over the family business. That's why even in scripture, there is a, a transition where Jesus is known as the carpenter's son, but then he is also known as the carpenter. And in most of their towns and small villages, there would not have been several like we have today. He would have primarily been the or one of the few carpenters in that area. Meaning this, Jesus knew what it was like to lose someone. Jesus knew what it was like to carry the burden of financially supplying or of, of providing for a group of people. He knew what it was like to say, I have to work to provide for my mom. I need to care for my siblings. He knew what, what a frustrating, hard day's work was like or when things just don't work out. Jesus knew what it was like to lose a close friend. Jesus knew what it was like to be abandoned. Jesus knew what it was like to be poor. Jesus knew what it was like to be gossiped. Jesus knew what it was like to hurt. In fact, in Scripture, anytime it says that Jesus had compassion on people, it's actually this idea of a word that means to suffer with. When Jesus interacted with people suffering, he didn't just see them. He, he entered into their pain. He lived a difficult, hard life. And the things we experience, Scripture says, He knows. Have you been betrayed? So has He. Have you ever been broke? So has He. Have you ever faced death? So did He. You can know Him. He knows your pain. So here's just what I want to give you. 
John chapter 1, this message that's typically used during Christmas, and, and we think about uh, Jesus and, and, and baby Jesus, I want you to know this. It's, it's pretty offensive. It means that God couldn't just send advice or just wait a little while till we figure it out. It, it took the very presence of God. It took God becoming flesh and dying and resurrecting to fix the mess we've made. But it also means you have an opportunity to know him, to know him because he's revealed himself through his word. It means that he knows you and knows the pain that you experience. He's experienced the pain of this world. But it also means that you're forced to decide what to do with Jesus. You see, no one in Scripture had a kind of moderate, uh, the, the, no one in Scripture ever kind of had a moderate reaction to Jesus. Okay, No one was like, hey, what would you do today? I went fishing, went by the market, uh, I met this guy Jesus, and he brought a dead guy to life. Right? You, you wouldn't tell stories like that. In fact, Jesus did things, and people had really a, a couple extremes, really three. Uh, the first one was sometimes Jesus would do things, and people would, would flee. They would run. They were scared. When Jesus healed a man who was possessed with demons and all the pigs ran off the cliff, the people wanted him to leave. They were, they were angry, and they were also terrified because they don't want someone that powerful. They, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They ran the other way. Other people were so angry, they wanted and tried to kill him. But the third category was they fell to the ground and said, you are Lord, and I will build my entire life around you. So if you kind of find yourself just in this mediocre, uh, just, I don't know, it's Jesus, you may not really know him. I don't mean did you say a prayer. I meant you have an opportunity to know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, he'll either run the other way because he is way too powerful and he is going to demand things of your life and he is going to turn things upside down and you may not want that. You may want to kill him. You may want to kill him because he's going to say, you can't do this with your life. You're destroying your life. Sometimes the people that love us most will give us truth that we don't want to hear and Jesus will do that. When you truly get to know him, you will build your life around him. What's your energy like? What's your boldness? Are you bold for Jesus? Do you praise Jesus? Do you tell people? Do you just have to get the word out? The word became flesh. This Christmas story is a time to celebrate. But we also have to make a decision. What do we do with Jesus? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the word. I thank you for um, my friends at North Park. God, I pray right now for their church family during this season, during this time. I pray for Pastor Anthony and Blair and Micah. Lord, I thank you for their ministry and what they do there. And I pray for the peace that passes all understanding to guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, and I hope you have a great week. Pastor Chris Sloan, thank you so much for sharing God's Word with us today. We are grateful for the partnership and the friendship that we have with you and your church family. Hey, if this is your first online experience today, thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you head over to northparkrdu.com and click that digital connect card. Give us an opportunity to connect with you. We want to walk this journey with you. Let me also remind you that on Christmas Eve, 
we are premiering an incredible experience called North Park Christmas at home. We're gonna bring you some inspiration, some worship, some laughs. We wanna make some memories together this year, even if they look a little different than they have in the past. So keep your eyes out for that experience. We want you to gather with your family at home as we worship together as a North Park family. And finally, if you'd like to make a financial contribution, if you want to invest in the mission to build lifelong followers of Jesus, just click the online giving button at northparkrdu.com. We want to thank you for your continued generosity. We love you guys. We are cheering you on.